Remember, Easter, we have two services, 9.30 and 11.30 uh, for our Easter service, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. But um, just going to dive right into where we are. How many of you have ever lost something? Anybody? How many of you regularly lose something? How many of you are not even aware you're losing things? Uh, yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> you know, a number of years ago, we got a dog for some reason manipulated into it. Three little girls looking up at me, but dad. Yeah. So we got a dog and we call him Bentley and uh, we tolerate each other, Bentley and I. A number of years ago, we took, we were, the groomer picked him up, uh, a friend of ours, and was brought him into, the, into her yard and opened the door to let Bentley out. And Bentley, for some reason, bolted. This was in Comox. Uh, and uh, he disappeared. He like ran away. And so she chased him. And what does a dog do when you chase it? It runs. So it, it headed out, and suddenly it was lost. And this was, uh, so Bentley is lost. It's like in the middle of the afternoon. You're going to coach me on my story? I can't hear you. Oh, I was rejoicing. Well, I'm not outwardly. I, I, I can't let my children see that. <laughs> it's a little damaging. Um, so anyway, there was uh, Bentley lost. So we're putting our messages out on Facebook. It's going viral in Comox which took about 10 seconds, so big. <laughs> so Bentley was lost, and we're searching, driving all over the place, looking for him. And, uh, you know, there's coyotes around, all kinds of things. And it came to the nightfall, he was still lost. The next day, I took the day off work, and I start driving around more, and people are taking time on their lunch hour. We're looking for him all over the place. And uh, I came around this one place with Elena, uh, and I could see up about 150 feet up on this dog, no word of a lie, if a dog could walk with shoulders slumped, he was like just walking along, looking around. He's probably hungry, hasn't ate anything, uh, anything like that. And so we stopped the vehicle and remembered that a few people had seen him and ran towards him, and he booked it again. So here he is, and we thought, okay, we're going to do it differently. We had some dog food, and we called him, and he kind of turned, and he looked at us, and I... Sometimes dogs are almost human-like. I don't know. He looks at us, and you can see the suspicion. And then Elena started to squeal, as only Elena could. He's like, I recognize that. And he runs back to us, and he starts jumping around and making noise. And he lost his voice. He couldn't say thank you, but he... That's how my daughters think he thinks like. But, and he was so excited. We got him in a vehicle, and we, we took him home. And there was great rejoicing in the house because the dog had come home. At least 80% of the home was happy. And <laughs> if you love animals, I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't hate them. I just I love them, but I'm not going to say anything about eating them or anything, Daniel. I can hear that. No, no, no. We love animals, and we're thankful for them. And my kids, I'm thankful that they have them. Uh, and then, so anyway, Bentley's home is a wonderful thing. And, and we, when we lived on Vancouver Island, we would every, probably three, three times a year, would go to the west coast of the island to Tofino, where we would go with some friends, and we'd go surfing. Along the way, we'd stop at a surf rental shop, pick up our rentals, uh, and off to the beach for the day. Come back around uh, probably 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. It was dark. Uh, we had an arrangement with the shop, as you can only do on Vancouver Island. Hey, just stick them behind the shed, your surfboards and all that kind of stuff. And so we did that, jumped out. The kids were sleeping by then, and uh, Shanda jumps out to help me, and we, doors are open, and, and we're, we're going, and we go home. And we're almost home, which is about another 45 minutes. And I said, where's Bentley? And all of a sudden, three girls, ah! 
I said, what? He's not here. At the place where we put the surf equipment back, he jumped out. He's like, I got to go to the bathroom or something. I don't know what. So he jumps out and we realize he's lost again. So my parents happened to be coming up from the ferry at that same time. So we called them. I said, if you can get race to get to the, we, to the place and we'll come from the other way. My parents got there first and Bentley was just sitting there. I think he learned last time. I don't know that thing about lost, about running when you're lost. Not a good idea. I'm going to say he was literally sitting in the middle of the driveway, had been there for like an hour and a half. And, and I, he looked at me like differently when I saw him again. And that's probably defined our relationship ever since. So I don't know. Getting lost is no fun if you're an animal. It's no fun if you're a person. Just recently, you might have seen on, on the Internet about this couple who was coming up on their honeymoon, and they were running up to the cruise ship dock, and the cruise ship was pulling away. And what had happened is they had gotten lost in, in just having a good time. They were on an excursion, doing their own thing, and they think that everything waits for them. Uh, they came up to it, and literally, it, and, and they're running up. It's still just pulling away. The cruise ship is going like, see ya. And like, if you came late, if you're ever on a cruise ship, they actually mean it. Unlike all the rest of us, they will not wait for you. And so they drove away, and those people had to find a way to get to the next spot, and they were lost. Lost is all of us experience at different times. Uber, if we ever get it here, no, uh, our government is not helping out at all. Yes, I have feelings on this. We should have Uber. We can do it. Uh, Everywhere else in the world, but we're like, oh, I'm not sure about those drivers in Vancouver, which maybe they have a point. I don't know. But anyway, recently they listed the bunch of things that have been lost in their cars. The, the weirdest one that was the top of the list was an eight-week-old chihuahua. I was like, I wasn't doing it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. A full set of 18-karat gold teeth. When did that person realize it? We're about to eat like, oh. Just about to eat, and there it was. A full-size mannequin. How do you leave that? A full-size one. This one, a bag of hair with some spray glue. I was thinking that might have been me. It wasn't me. Really, it wasn't. Anybody ever lost anything? Yeah, we've all lost something. My oldest daughter, Alexandra, was born. And then a year, almost two years later, what's her second daughter's name? Annika was born. Uh, uh, she's not here, so um, she will. Annika, we love you. She's in Spokane, I think. Yes, it's in Spokane. So anyway, this might be the point of this. About, she was about eight weeks old, and I was doing sound at a wedding at the back. And... Uh, Annika was in her car seat, and I stuck her underneath the sound booth. Wedding was amazing. Wedding's all done. We go to the car. Alexander's in her car seat. We're getting ready to drive away, and we're like, where's Annika? She was happily sleeping under the sound booth, still there. We hadn't adjusted to the fact that we have two kids yet. It was... We can all identify with losing things. Sometimes, though, we lose really important things like our kids. That's an important thing. Sometimes we lose our hope. Sometimes we lose our way. Sometimes we lose our perspective. Sometimes we lose our purpose. Sometimes we lose ourselves. Where am I? You hear that? I've got to find myself. 
There's a great story and about Jesus and lost things found in the Bible. I preached this sermon essentially about two years ago, but it's probably one I'll preach every two years because I think it's so important. It's one of the most beautiful passages to me in the Scripture that gives the heart of God for people. So I'm going to go into Luke 15. And it says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. It's kind of like a story with a meaning. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, and every time you see something uh, that's highlighted, I want you to say it out nice and strong. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses, there you go, of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over... There you go. That's a little weaker. Let's try that again. In heaven over sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or, and there's another story, the same basic story. Suppose there is a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one. Whoa. I tricked you there. Okay, we're going to try that again. I'm still going. Suppose a woman has 10 silver, silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my last lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That just sounded nasty. My Daniel, come on. <laughs> so in this parable, and it goes on, there's a little bit more, which we'll refer to in a moment, uh, a whole section on a lost son. So there's a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And three main characters in the story, though, right now. Sinners and tax collectors on the one side, the people over here, Jesus in the middle of the story, and on the other side is the people who seemingly on the outside have it all together, the religious people, the church people, the church leaders, those kind of a people. And then they're... So the sinners are on one side, and they're gathering around Jesus. They wanted to be with him. And, and this would be the people who, who culture and maybe the church culture and the culture generally may have marked as unclean or undesirable or undeserving, or maybe they themselves had marked themselves that way. Uh, in that way, they talks about the tax collectors, the sinners, uh, the tax collectors in tax season. We're not going to say anything about that. What it's talking about in that way is not the, that we don't pay our taxes, it's that tax collectors collaborated with uh, an oppressive government, so they were hated by uh, the general people. And uh, then the sinners and the people who were seemingly far from God. And maybe in our world today, we would think about the people like uh, the liars, the gossipers, the the people who are marked as outsiders, the LGBTQ community, the, those marked as unclean, the, the gossiper, the adulterer, the, porno, the one struggling with pornography, anybody who feels like there's something between them and God or, or something between them and others that if everybody knew, then they wouldn't accept me. So that, those group of people are on this side. And in this middle of it is Jesus. He welcomes them, the Scripture says. He hangs out with them, the Scripture says. He eats with them. The Bible says he eats with them and he's not bothered at all by being with them. He's by eating with them. He's saying in that culture, I accept you the way you are right now. 
Lost sinners came to Jesus not because he catered to them, not because he compromised his message, but because he cared for them. He didn't have to cater to them. He didn't compromise his message, but he cared for them, and they were attracted to that. He, met their, he understood their needs and tried to help them and tried to minister to them. And finally, on the other side is there's this whole religious group, the Pharisees, who were indignant that Jesus would be around these people. How can he do this? Is he becoming like them? Is he, does he approve of everything that they're doing? I can't believe that this guy who claims to be uh, of God, a guy who claims to be a teacher of God, would be around these kind of people. And so in the middle of it all, it seems like perhaps Jesus caught wind of their grumbling or maybe he understood that there was something going on. There's a backstory. And so he realizes that there's a truth that needs to be displayed, uh, something that needs to be taught, something that needs to be expressed so that he can shift a perspective. And so he tells these parables about lost things. The parable, which is just a fancy way of saying it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's not like an allegory where everything has necessarily a representative thing. It's essentially one main truth in these stories. And he tells these three stories that are essentially one story. He's telling it from different angles so that you can't miss it wherever you're at. Whether you're on this side of somebody who feels far from God or this one who, on this side who thinks they got it all together, he's going to tell the story. And so he goes through about lost sheep. There's a hundred sheep. And one goes missing. We don't know how or why. He's counting 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. Try again. 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. There's one missing. A shepherd is constantly counting their sheep because there's always somebody trying to get their sheep. Thieves are going to steal them. Animals are going to destroy them. Or they might just wander off. And so the shepherd, he leaves he, when he discovers that there's one missing. He leaves the 99 and goes out after the one. Now, it doesn't mean that the other sheep were left alone. They were alone, but there was always under shepherds there. And so he was willing to leave those and go after one. You say, it's just 1%. Like, it's dark. It's cold. Why would you go out in there? Because a sheep would not last long. There's thieves who were ready to steal them. The wilderness could destroy them. All kinds of things. And he leaves the and goes after the lost sheep, and it says this phrase, until he finds it. He puts it on his shoulder. It's a picture of picking up the wounded and the weary. Pit, puts them on his shoulder and brings them home. And he comes back super pumped because he says, the one that was lost has been found. 98, 99, plus one more. It's not, there's no party until one more is found. And then there's a lost coin. There's 10 coins and one goes missing. She's counting. Maybe she needed to buy something like some shoes. I'm not pointing my finger at anybody, but perhaps. She's counting. Seven, eight, nine. Seven, eight, nine. No, not her shoes, because that would go 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53. I, uh, I'm not worried about that at all. So seven coins, eight coins, nine coins. No, there's not enough. And so she lights a light and says, I'm going to search every corner of the house until I find that which is lost. And it's kind of also this thing of a coin. It's a beautiful picture that, see, uh, the difference between a, 
a random piece of metal and a coin is that there's an image stamped on it that makes it valuable. And it reminds us that every person is created in the image of God. And simply because of that, they're valuable. Whatever label you might want to put on them, whatever thing that they might be struggling with, whatever thing that they're going through, there is an image that's on us that, in, that says you are valuable because of who created you, not because of what you do, not because of how well you're doing it, but simply because the image of God has marked you. Seven, eight, nine, and then she finds it, plus one more. And then there's a lost son, which is the rest of the chapter. In this story, it's an incredibly powerful story, and it starts with this son says, I want my inheritance right now. And when you say that in that culture, and it's still this way in many cultures of the world, the younger son says, I want the inheritance. What he's essentially saying, because when do you get inheritances normally? When someone dies. So when he says, I want my inheritance, he's essentially saying, I wish you were dead to his father. Horrific. Now, a father can initiate that conversation sometimes because in that culture, sometimes the father would give the inheritance while he was still alive to see how they'd handle it. But in this case, he's saying, I wish you were dead, essentially. And then he goes off and he goes wild. It says he left and he went to a far country, probably because he didn't want anybody around cramping his style. I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it who I want to do it with, and I'm going to spend and do all these things. And one translation says, in riotous living. In other words, he, he just went crazy. And when you have money, you also have friends. But when the money runs out, the friends also run out. Because they're not, they're not there for you, they're for, there for what you can bring them. Those kind of friends never take you anywhere in life, as a side note. You need friends who will be with you in the thick and the thin, who will walk with you when you're a lunkhead, who will walk with you when you're on the heights, who will walk with you when you're struggling. That's a, that's a side one, but watch who you give your life to in friendship. And anyway, he goes up, probably bought a, like the fastest camel around. I don't know, I, that's what I would have bought. I'm going to have like... Yeah. Running after hookers and parties and he's drinking and alcohol and getting drunk and spending his wild living. And then finally he runs out of money. And at just that time, at the same time, it says there was a famine in the land and he's homeless. And after it says this, to understate it, it says he began to be in want. In other words, his, it says it was extended beyond what he was able to do. His credit card was maxed. Line of credit was gone. His friends are gone. And finally, he's like, oh, my goodness, I need to get a job. I need to get a job. And the only job that he could find was looking after pigs, which, again, was an absolutely humiliating thing. They, no uh, citizen would do that. That was relegated to the lowest of the low people. And so here he has to take even that job. And then it goes on. It says he was so hungry, he desired even to have the food that the pigs ate. But no one would even give him that. And so he finally, the Bible says this phrase, it says he came to his senses. And he said he would return home. He says, I'm starving. I know there's plenty of food in my father's house. At the very least, maybe he will accept me as a, as a servant. Maybe I'll never be able to get back into the good books. But at least I'll be able to have it be the servant and get three square meals a day. But that's all right. At least if I could have that. He's lost his money. He's lost his friends. He's lost his dignity. He's lost his clothes. He is absolutely wrecked. 
comes to his senses, and it says he begins to head for home. It's a beautiful picture. It says, when he was a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to him. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. There he is. My son who was dead has come home. It's a beautiful picture in and of itself, but there's something else here that some commentators say that in the East at that time, older men did not run. I think that's a good plan for me as well. But Yet the father ran to meet his son. Why? Obviously there was his desire to show his love and, and to welcome him back and to show it to him. But there's something else involved because in that culture at that time, if, you, if a son was rebellious and humiliated and disobeyed his, family, his father, the, the punishment wasn't like, you bad boy. The punishment was stoning at the city gates. Stoning. Like that, not, not, not like getting stoned. Not like I know this is here. Like getting stoned, like rocks thrown at you. It's not Canada. 20. <laughs> okay. Come on now, Craig. Get back on track. Where are we at? Okay. Here it is. He should have been stoned to death. So when the father knows that, if the neighbors had started to stone him, they would have hit the father who was already embracing him. In his worst moment, in his moment when everybody else was ready to pick up a rock, the father was already covering him. What a beautiful picture. One son plus one more. I got 99 sheep. What's one more? Plus one more. I got nine coins. It's pretty good. Plus one more. I got one son. It's pretty good. Plus one more. And he calls a party, kills the fatted calf, which means they were preparing it for a party. My son who was lost is found. My son who is dead is alive. Three stories, a sheep, a coin, and a son. Three key words. Lost, found, joy. The lost get found, and it's a party. Some people are lost by simply wandering unintentionally. Like the sheep, some lost, like the coin, have no awareness that they're even lost. At other times, like the lost son, those who, there are those who willfully walk away from God and from home. These three stories have essentially the same meaning told in different ways, designed to get our attention. From the person who seems to have it all together, to the person who knows they don't have it all together, to the person who struggles in between gives us a picture of the heart of God because whether, the, whether someone knows it or not, the Bible describes someone who is, uh, doesn't know Jesus as being lost. And in the New Testament, it says this, that you have, at one time were separate from God, excluded, having no hope and without God in the world, but God, but Jesus. Sin separates us. And we make the mistake sometimes of thinking that that one is somebody else. But the Bible says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. There's a great old hymn. You might have heard it before. I once was lost, but now I am found. And the greatest thing, one of the great things that we all have to remember is that if, even if you've been found, you once were lost. And that should just fill our hearts with such gratefulness of God when I was lost that you reached down and loved me. You reached down while I was still a sinner and you loved me. So that if you're found, our hearts should be full of grace for someone who is where we once were. 
We can't forget where we came from. We can't forget what we walked through. We can't forget what God brought us from and so lose track of there's other people who are in the same place we once were, that we were without hope in the world, that we were excluded. We felt like we were far from God and had no way back home. But God, who was rich in mercy and abounding in love, worked out a way. He reached out through the, through the power of Jesus Christ and said, hey, lost one, there is a way home. I'm coming after you. And when we remember that, our whole perspective on lost people suddenly can begin to shift. So if you have some judgmental thing in your heart, it might be because you've forgotten where you come from. I once was lost, but now I'm found. See, the Bible says that Lost people are not found, that are not found face a life where the, there's an enemy who will steal, kill, and destroy from them. And ultimately, they will spend an eternity apart from God. But no matter how they got lost, no matter how they feel, no matter how we feel, no matter how far from God we feel, Luke 19 and 10 says this, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And this means to seek, means to look in order to find. There's the way I look, and there's the way Shanda looks. I can't find something. I take about three minutes, and I'm like, I can't find it. But Shanda has a different way of looking. She looks until she finds it. And I, after 26 or 7 years of this, I know that I just say, call that Shanda. I have no clue where my wallet is right now. She's like, I got it. I'm buying some shoes. Never mind. No. (laughs) 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 To save. (laughs) Why is that on my mind? Is there something? I think the Lord's preparing me for something. Like, <laughs> to save, to deliver from danger and to safety, where God delivers me from the penalty and the power of sin and sets me on a new path, sets me for a new future, puts new shoes on my feet. Because now everyone has a name. Everyone has a story. Everyone's story matters to God. Now, you could do this two ways. Everyone is a word that means everyone, but I want it to be very clear. It's that, but it's also everyone. Everyone has a name. Everyone has a story. Everyone's story matters to God. That's how it is. Nobody is nameless. Nobody is faceless to God. God sees every one of us. He looks at us with love. He looks at us with grace. He looks at us with mercy. He goes out after us. He's looking for us. He's trying to reconcile us too. He's speaking to us. The Bible says that his kindness and his goodness leads us to repentance. He's good. See, the Bible in this passage shows us the two aspects of salvation where God welcomes and looks after and goes after like the shepherd, like the woman looking for the coin. And he goes after us and says, come on, and brings us back. And then there's also the aspect of man's response, which his son says. He didn't go after the father in that case and bring the son home. There is also our part in it where we need to respond to the goodness of God. Because God can do all of it, but it's a partnership with him. We need to respond to the grace of God. God says, come on, and eventually the kindness of God will lead us towards repentance. It's a both and. It's not either or. Oh, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. Yes, God's going to do it. In some cases, people respond quickly. In other cases, they are going to wait until they come to their senses. Every person that you meet matters to God. Lost people. What about lost people do we see from this story? That lost people have a place. 
Everyone has a place. For something to be lost, it implies that it belongs somewhere. The lost sheep has a flock. The lost coin has a store. I know, not a store, a purse. <laughs> the lost son has a home and a father. Everybody has a place. God's made a place for everyone. And with that place, there's purpose. A number of years ago when, it's another one with Annika. Annika and Alexandra, Shanda and I were at a track meet in Victoria. I've told this story before, but it illustrates it for me so well. Got a track meet with a bunch of kids. Annika was a baby in arms. Didn't lose her this time. But we were there with a group of kids, and there was probably a few hundred kids at a track meet. And so Shanda and I were our group of kids with this school group that we were at. And uh, getting them to this place and that place. And then they come, I see Shanda and I was like, where's Alexandra? She's like, you have her. No, I actually don't. And there is nothing that can make your heart panic more than that as a parent. There's no word to describe the absolute sheer terror that dropped into my heart in that moment. We began to look all over the place and we're scurrying and looking and trying to find her. You know, in that moment we didn't say, well, we still got one. It's only a 50% reduction. We can make more. <laughs> Nobody would say that. And God doesn't say that. God doesn't say that. He's not just saying, oh, well, we got, a, we got 342 today. There's still 497,000 people in a city that don't know God. I'm okay with that. No, 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 no. See, and then not a while long later, we, we heard over the loudspeakers, Yaya is looking for her parents. We knew what Yaya was. Alexandra, we gave her a big, long name. She could, what, what's your name? Yaya. Like, that's all. Her, her sisters called her that for a long time. And he gathers up the outcasts and brings them home. He heals the wound of every shattered heart. And Jesus is revealing the heart of God. He's trying to show the lost person and all of us, you matter to God. It doesn't matter how you are today, what you look like today, what you're walking through today, what nobody knows that you've walked through, what nobody knows that you're walking through. You absolutely matter to God and you have a place. You have a place. Number two, that lost people are attracted to grace and hope. Sometimes people say, oh, that church is growing. They must be watering down the gospel or they're compromising truth. That might be possible, but more often than not, they're preaching hope in Jesus. See, the Bible is book full of hope. In Romans 2 and 4, it, it, it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? It says, does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin?" Doesn't, it acknowledges the reality of our sin, but provides a way back through the kindness of God. In three stories, these three stories, Jesus is telling us, I see your mess, but I'm not turned off by your mess. I'm coming. I'm coming towards you. I'm coming in the middle of the mess. I'm coming in the middle of the problem. 
I'm not turning away from you, even if you feel like you need to turn away from me. In fact, the Father shows his love towards us by running towards us. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in no place to, to ask for mercy, he gave us mercy. Because mercy is not earned, grace is not earned. It's freely given by the heart of the Father. We say this fairly often. We live in a world where hope is at peak demand and low supply. But the source of hope is not what's going on around you, not what's going around in you. But it's the God of the universe is with you. Lost people are still attracted to that because everyone has a name. Everyone has a story. And everyone's story matters to God. Sometimes lost people don't know they're lost. Other times they're willfully lost. Other times they just need, all of them need to be found. 99 plus 1 more. Nine plus one more. One plus one more. What does it mean for lost people to be found? It says, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Lost people can find their way home. There's that beautiful picture. What happens when the finder finds them? See, the hero of the story is the one that we should all strive to look like. The, the hero is meant to speak to us in the middle of our reality and say, hey, there's a better way that you could live. Wherever you're at in the story, Jesus provides this beautiful illustration of how Christ followers can live. And he challenges us to live differently. He really does. He sees our reality and calls us to his ideal. And in the space between those... Where you are to where he's calling us, there's grace. And grace is power to, to be what he's called us to be. See, there's this beautiful picture of a shepherd who looks, a woman who searched, a father who waits for. Because what does a finder look like? See, a finder loves lost people, loves lost people. While the son was a long way off, the father saw him, he ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That's what it should feel like for lost ones. Those are all the emotions that that would put in. Family, you are one of the most loving groups, and we hear that feedback back often. And love melts fear. John 3 and 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And in the following verse, he wasn't sent to condemn. He was sent to save. He was on a rescue mission. Is there an attractive quality to my life? Do I have people in my life that don't know Jesus that would look at my life and say, I want to follow Jesus? They're not perfect. They sometimes blow it, but they're moving in a direction that is absolutely outstanding because people need to see the good news in us before they ever want to hear the good news from us. How we live matters. Finders also invest in lost people. See, the shepherd stopped what he was doing to go after the one. The woman stopped what she was doing to go after the one. The father waited actively and watched for the one. Love is moved to action. And most of us, when we hear that, sometimes we think, like, am I going to have to, like, go out on the corner and stand with a thing at the SkyTrain station, like, turn or burn? Like, do I have to, like, hand out things and all that kind of stuff? I mean, uh, I can remember as a kid, I used to go around... Uh, or I wait with tracks and give those all out. And if you feel like giving tracks, that's fine. I'm not saying there's anything bad about it, but that was the only way I saw to do it. But I think what these stories also illustrate for us is it's not somebody way far away. They'll be open to that. It's probably, your plus one is probably somebody you already know. Yeah. 
probably somebody in your family. It might be somebody you work with. It might be somebody in your university class. It could be any, anybody around you. I love that Jesus talked to though about one sheep, one coin, one life. Because all of us could adjust our life for one. Because sometimes we make it so big. It's about the world and, and you have to go and sell everything and go to the deepest, darkest part of B.C. Far away, sell it. Well, you could do that if God calls you to that. You better do it. But most often it's right in my neighborhood. It's right in my cul-de-sac, in my workplace. In my, there's somebody around there that God intends for me to intersect. You can't, you can't do everything for everyone. But do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So don't exclude yourself. I can't do anything. It's too big of a job. Look at one. 97, 98, 99, plus one more. 7, 8, 9, plus one more. 1, plus one more. And persist until there's a party. The shepherd looked, the woman swept, the father watched until the lost was found. Then there was a party. The lost was found. There are people around us without hope who are waiting to be found. Some don't know that they're lost. Some are willfully lost. Some are wondering what's going on with their life. But we're going to persist until there's a party. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Let him challenge you. Let him pull you forward. Lost people need found people to persist until there's a party. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Will we persist in prayer, in relationship, in love? Sometimes, like the lost son, they want nothing to do with what you're saying. Hey, that's all right. Continue to love them. Continue to pour, pray for them. Continue to intercede with them. And don't give up on them. Other times, we're running after them and saying, hey. And they respond and they come. Whatever the case, we persist until there's a party. Because the stakes are high. Lost people are not just maybe going to have an uncomfortable life. The end of the story is rather uncomfortable for people who don't know Jesus without God. But the grace of God, we stay in. We continue to pray. We continue to love. We continue to believe God. Because just like me with my one daughter, I'm not going, oh, I have one. God is not either. The Bible says that, that God's heart is, is for us, that God is looking for ways to find ways, uh, for, to help people find ways back to him. That while we were yet sinner, he died for us. So there's one more, one more, one more, one more. You know, the, the, most re, the, most, or the biggest reason why people come to church that are, that are unchurched, dechurched, no church, never heard of church, is because someone invites them. That's the biggest reason still. And people are open to come at Easter and Christmas for various reasons. There's a cultural thing. But we believe that God can reach them in a powerful way. And so as we look forward to Easter, I'm asking for all of us to identify a plus one. Because everyone has a name. Everyone has a story. Everyone's story matters to God. And Galatians 6 and 9 says this. It says that in due season we will reap if we don't give up. We're going to persist until there's a party. I invite you to stand real quick and then we're going to respond. A plus one in common vernacular is just someone who comes to a party as your guest. It's a great illustration as well. 
the ultimate party is at the end of our life or end of time where we, the Bible says, enter, if you know Jesus, enter into the joy of your Lord. What a great thing that heaven could be populated with your friends, your family, because you were willing to extend yourself and say, plus one more. But perhaps today you identify more with the prodigal son, the son who, uh, ah, I wish you were dead, Father. Maybe for whatever reason you feel far from God. But here what Jesus surrounded himself with, people who felt like they were outsiders, outcasts, undeserving, unwanted and loved them. Didn't just tolerate them. Loved them. Loved them. Right where they were. Didn't compromise his message. Didn't cater to their desires. But loved them and cared for them. And that's how Jesus looks at each and every one of us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you feel like, man, I feel like I'm close to Jesus, but I want to become a follower of Jesus that he can come in and lead my life. And like the, the prodigal or that son who came home, and the, the end of the story is that they had a party, but they put a robe on him. In other words, God covered everything that everybody could see that had marked him. God covered it, took off the rags, took off every broke, and began to move in his life. It says he gave him a ring. In other words, I, you're not only... Uh, welcome in as some slave. I welcome you as a son or a daughter. And as the ring represented, I carry the authority of the Father. I'm welcome right back in. And then it says, and he put shoes on his feet. And that's a small detail that the only people who didn't wear shoes were slaves. So with his action, he was saying, come home. Come home. Home is available. Home is always available. You might have lost everything else, but you've never lost the love of a father. Just bow your head real quick, and I just want to say, uh, give opportunity for people to respond to that. As we've shared about this, and you might recognize that, man, Craig, I, I don't know that I've ever made Jesus the forgiver and leader of my life, or if I do, I feel like I'm a long ways from him, and I need to return. If that's you, just real quick, put up your hand, and I want to pray with you. My left, your right. Say, I'm going to give my life and surrender my life to Jesus. Just slip your hand up. We're not going to make you come up or anything like that. We're just going to pray with you, pray for you. Down the middle. My right, your left. Right. Okay, the second part of this is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he wants you to be a finder. I'm just going to ask you that, and we believe that the Holy Spirit still speaks, to just ask him, Lord, who is my plus one? Who is the friend, the family member, the workmate, the university college person that I go to class with, whatever it be, that I need to look at loving on and investing in their life and, and maybe even inviting them this Easter. Who's my plus one? It's going to give you about 30 seconds. Just ask the Lord, who's my plus one? respond in this moment is I'm not going to ask for your hand or anything like that. I believe God spoke to you. Don't push it away. If you're a follower of Jesus out in the lobby 
band's going to begin to play, and I'm just going to ask you to go out in the lobby, and we have a big sign just like this one, plus one. I'm going to ask you to go out there and, be, and just make a moment. It's 21 days till Easter. So you do a lot of things over the next 21 days, but maybe begin to pray for your plus one in a real significant way every day. And to help you make that, okay, we're going to also, we want to pray with you and pray for your friend. There's a big sign. You might, you, if you didn't see it on the way coming in, I don't know. Um, but it's that big. Where you can just go write the first name for the privacy of that person. Just write their first name. And uh, on our Tuesday prayer time, we're going to be taking those names. We're going to be praying for them. We're going to be praying for them on the staff. And, and you commit to pray for that person. Did anybody get a plus one? Now put your hand up if you did. Just help a, help a brother out. Come on. <laughs> All five of us. It's going to be amazing. Here's, here's why we're having two Easter services. Because there's roughly probably 330 people in here today. If we double that, which is absolutely possible, because we all have a plus one in our life. If we have over 650, 660 people in here, we simply wouldn't have enough room. Wouldn't that be a great problem? It is a great problem. We believe it's going to happen. Because God is looking for lost people so that lost people can be found and there can be a joyful party. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you saw us and you see us in whatever place we're in in the story. And you love us. Your heart is for us. You're moving towards us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to engage with you in seeing lost people be found. In the strong name of Jesus, amen and amen.